Hey, Andrew, I can rely on you, right? There's nothing more real than someone you can rely on, whether you're relying on them to make a shot in the clutch or be there when you need it most. Someone you can trust in the clutch makes all the difference on or off the court. With State Farm, you get a teammate you can rely on and you get the real deal. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And as you all know, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Because of that, so many of us are shopping online. Just saw that AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those of you who want to get a new phone or other device online. They're offering fast, free, no-contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is as simple and safe as possible. On top of all that, they've got a flexible return policy so that you can shop with ease. You can visit att.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Disclaimer, that is subject to change and restrictions apply. And even though The Last Dance is now over, it doesn't mean that ESPN is done making awesome documentaries or podcasts about those documentaries. Jalen and Jacoby, The After Show, continues this Sunday following Lance, part one of a two-part ESPN 30 for 30 film on Lance Armstrong's rise and fall in the sports world. Hear from Armstrong himself in a film that insists the audience make its own interpretation of one of the biggest doping scandals in history. Be sure to check out the film on ESPN and then Jalen and Jacoby, the after show, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA Thank you for joining us. We're recording this on Wednesday evening. We've got Jackie McMullen joining us from Boston. Hello, Jackie. I hope you are well. I am, Brian. Thank you for asking. I am good. Good. I, you, you're, you've been, been running ragged recently, so you have energy back in your voice. I, I do. I feel, well, I feel. yes. No more. La- well, actually, I was going to say no more last dance, but I am incorrect, as, as our know. listeners will soon realize. Every time I think I'm out, they drag me back in. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could do impressions. Joining us from Dallas is Tim McMahon. I, McMahon, I wish I could do impressions, and I wish I could give people nicknames. These I have a nickname. Fan, McMahon, but I didn't give it to you. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. I did give one you nickname. Didn't, you also didn't ask me how I'm doing or I express apologize. any desire for me to be doing well, so thanks a lot. I apologize. I hope you are doing well. Are you? I feel like this is disingenuous. Uh, fair, fair assessment. I did give one nickname that stuck one time, and that was uh, I nicknamed Anderson Verja Wild Thing. Oh. And people did people did stick that, but I like I wish like uh, Peter Vesey. Oh, he has the best nicknames. Hot Plate Williams. Uh, Joe barely cares for Joe yeah. Barry Carroll. Yeah, the best. Joe Barry Carroll. I did. Uh, nickname he also, a kid. I nicknamed a kid once on my team. She was uh, a kid from Maine. She was a recruit. I never actually played with her. She was very good. Her name was Terry Milliken, if you're listening, Terry. And we found out that she dug graves in the summertime for her job. So I called her Digger. And the poor thing, I graduated (laughs) and I left her. And they called her Digger for four years. So I apologize, Terry. Oh, wow. Wow. My my last last nickname that stuck was when I called Tim Bontemps Doofus. Oh, that's just mean. <laughs> you've, you've called him a lot worse than that. This is true. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just when we thought we were done with the last dance, and actually I was ready to be done with the last dance. Not um, me, man. Bring it on. Keep it going. I know. There's a lot of people who love the nostalgia of the 90s, and I don't begrudge any of them. Um, you know, Zach Lowe and Ramona Shelburne have been basically writing nonstop about the 90s, and they're not interested in coming back to 2020. So I don't blame them. Um, Horace Grant who gives an interview to the Chicago uh, ESPN 1000 in Chicago. He is not a happy man about the things that Michael Jordan portrayed, not just him, but other people in this documentary, specifically Scottie Pippen. And he he said at least four or five times this so-called documentary. Um, And, you know, we're used to Jordan sort of being the king of trash talk and not having anybody clap back at him or clapping back at him under penalty of uh, sanctions. Um, but Jackie, you know, I know that you wrote a piece that, you, you know, you didn't think that Scotty was, uh, or at least in the piece you brought up the case, you didn't think Scotty was being treated very well, but Scotty has not given any interviews. Um, right. 
But Horace Grant gave an interview, and I think he ended up giving another one later on. And he just, I mean, you know, I know when something is so popular as The Last Dance is slash was that it's going to draw fire. And I know, and there's controversies in there, but um, interesting the uh, <laughs> interesting what Horace had to say. I mean, what did you think of that? Well, I can't t- say I was completely shocked because when when Michael said in the documentary, well, Horace, you know, they were talking about where the the Jordan rules emanated from. Sam Smith's best selling book, terrific book, very thorough, very detailed. And let me just tell you, there, there's just just no way on God's green earth one person was the source for that book. It was too well reported, too many different angles. Now, did Horace talk to Sam Smith? I'm sure he did along the way, but. Michael was dismissing Jordan Rules, the book, and saying, well, that was all Horace. Well, that's not entirely accurate. You can be sure of that. And Horace took a, a, objection to it. And uh, But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. I've talked to a lot of these guys, um, Brian, who were part of this documentary, who played with Michael in the first three and then the last three. And when they heard about The Last Dance and were called to be interviewed, they thought it was going to be about their team. Now, silly them, of course it's going to be about the most compelling superstar, one of the most iconic figures in the history of the world, never mind just sports. So some of them felt a little duped. And I think in the case of Scotty, people are rallying around him because there was a little, I felt there was an uneven amount of uh, criticism and praise for Scotty in that doc. I mean, Scotty Pippen was a top five player during his run with the Bulls. And he would have been someone we'd be talking about all the time if he were not playing next to Michael Jordan. Now, some of his great feats were highlighted. All of his warts were highlighted in <laughs> detail. Now, I'll tell you this, yeah. too. Like, like the last two episodes, they, they show Scottie Pippen missing some free throws. What they don't show is Karl Malone lining up in a very important game in the NBA Finals and Scottie Pippen delivering the best trash talk line ever. The mailman don't deliver on Sundays and Carmelone <laughs> misses the free throws. That's not in the documentary. So if you're going to put Scottie Pippen not going in with one eight point eight seconds left and talk about Scottie's migraine and all that, how come you don't give him his moment there? So I understand the frustration that some of these players feel. I do. I, I understand it. And, and I'll say this. Horace Grant made a fair point when he's he's being accused of, you know, basically ratting out Jordan for uh, Sam Smith's book. And Jordan sat there for the world to hear and was, as in the words of, of Horace Grant, being a snitch when he's calling out the entire roster of his rookie season Chicago Bulls team for being up in a hotel room snorting coke, smoking weed, having women in there, like, you don't think some of those dudes from that roster had to deal with the, with the backlash of that? When you want to talk about breaking a, a teammate code, that was a pretty blatant violation of that. Although I will also give Horace Grant credit for this. He did have maybe the best line in the whole 10-part uh, documentary. And you have to bleep it out, but when he's referring to the Pistons walking off the court when the Bulls finally got him, <laughs> when he said straight up... <laughs> I mean, pretty pretty impactful line there, too. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the code. I, I was actually on the jump today with Kendrick Perkins, and that's exactly what he keyed in on was the idea of violating the code of what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room even or 20 years room. or 20-something years <laughs> later. And, and Kendrick took exception with that as well. Yeah, what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. What happens in the hotel room? absolutely has to stay in the hotel room. Well, you know, Horace, uh, I don't know if I agree with this, but he brought up, he's like, why was Scotty not coming into the game or, you know, asking out of the game in the uh, famous the playoff game against the Knicks where um, he sits out the last play and Kukoc hits the game winner. He says, well, he says, why was that brought up? Um, Jordan wasn't even on the team that year. And, you know, my thing is, well, you can't say it's not a documentary about the Bulls and out of one side of your mouth and then mm-hmm. the other side of your mouth say, um, you know, I thought this was, a, you, know, you know, you can't include that. But I think the point remains that Scotty's migraine was brought up and Scotty's back injury were brought up and Scotty not coming in and the missed free throws. They're 
there were it didn't seem balanced. I mean, the, the irony is that coming out of the gates, it, episode one, Michael was just over the top effusive of Scotty, and I, you know, I thought you know it was a very warm sentiment. And then things kind of went sideways from there. And I, although I, I do think one of the most compelling things in the whole documentary was Jordan talking about that play uh, when Scotty didn't come in and saying it was a mistake. Scotty knows that. And um, that's not a hot take. Um, and then Scotty saying um, I would do it again. Um, well, that's that's the problem, right? That's, you know, I was thinking about I was trying to decide, well, why would Scotty say that? And I don't know how this went, and maybe we'll find out eventually. But if you're Scottie Pippen and you show up to this this documentary, The Last Dance, and you were the only other player besides Michael Jordan who was part of both all, mm-hmm. all six of those championships, and you were this top five player, and you think maybe now you're going to get your due, and then you sit down, and I don't know if this happened. If, in fact, they showed you what all your teammates said about you all these years later. And, and can I just be clear on this? Okay, he didn't go back into the game. They won the game anyway. I'm not agreeing with Scotty did. They all told us right afterwards he was in tears. He apologized. They moved on. He played great the rest of that series. They did not win that series. But it's not like it ended there. Scotty Pippen helped them win three more championships. And so if you're Scotty Pippen and, and you, you hear all these things, and, and again, I don't know if this happened, then maybe that's your defensive reaction. Well, you know what? That's I would do it again. Now, I will tell you this. Scottie Pippen will have the final say. He's doing his memoirs with Michael Arkish, and I don't know exactly when they're going to come out, but you will hear from Scottie Pippen sooner or later. You know, the, the, another thing is Jordan was the one guy who criticized Scottie for getting the surgery intentionally. You know, like Scottie said, he wasn't going to F up his summer when he'd been underpaid all those years intentionally getting the surgery at the start of the season. Jordan was the one guy who was critical of him, where the rest of them basically, again, whether you agree or not, the, co- the teammate code is when there's contract disputes, you stay out of it. That, that's between the player, his agent, and management. It's not for teammates to get involved with. And, and the timing of the surgery is essentially the extension of a contract dispute. Right. I will tell you this. I think Michael Jordan is genuinely fond of Scottie Pippen. And I think over those six championships and all those years they were together, he went from thinking, I really do think he believed that Scottie was a little soft. Now, I don't think that's fair. I'm just talking about what Jordan felt. But I think Jordan, by the end, because at least that's how I felt when I saw them. When I when I showed up to Chicago those final years, the, the only players that I ever saw Jordan really interact very much with was Scotty and Ron Harper. They were, the three of them were always together. I, I mentioned this in a piece I wrote earlier. He was, he spent a lot more time with Gus Lett and those security guys. Those were his friends. And we find out now a very touching scene regarding Gus Lett. So I think if you ask Jordan, you, he would tell you, you know what? Scotty really showed me something. I really grew to trust him and to respect him and to care about him. And I think that's how he feels. But if you're Scotty, you're watching Jordan review your entire career, and you probably don't feel that way anymore. Uh, they, they did at least give him his props for playing hurt in that in the final game of, of right. the dynasty's run. And I actually, because I'm a nerd, I looked up the box score on BasketballReference.com. Scotty was plus 16 in that game. was was by far the best plus minus. Mm. Um, he was just an exceptional defensive player, and you know how that is, how that goes. Defense isn't—it's an intangible. It's not sexy. It never gets the recognition that the offensive player gets. That's just the truth. That'll always be the truth. Jackie, it did seem like Jordan spent a lot of time, like pregame, with his security guards, just hanging oh, out. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially near the end there, right? It was a three-ring circus. That especially that last year, but but the year before as well. Actually, really, even from the time he came back for those final three championships, it was just a different level. And and you guys have seen it with LeBron and and others, some other players. But I don't know if it was quite like that. What the way it was with Jordan, and he really liked those security guards, and he he found great solace and he had fun with them. He knew that his secrets were safe with them. They treated him for the most part like a regular guy. I mean, you know, the, I loved the relationship with Michael and Gus. That was obvious to even someone like me who was just dropping in at that point from time to time. I didn't live in Chicago. I wasn't covering the team full time. I was covering the league as a whole. But I would almost always see him with Gus. And 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 
I, I liked that. I thought that showed a very human side of Jordan that when Gus got sick, that not only was he at the hospital checking in on him, he was checking in on him at his home and was there, you know, for the, his final days to make his days as comfortable paid, as he I could. I think it paid for his medical care. He did. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's no person is one way. We're all complicated and we all have different layers to us. And what was revealed to us was the many, many layers of Michael Jordan. Some of them were very touching. Some of them were a little disconcerting. Some of them were endearing. Some of them were the exact opposite. If any of us had a documentary done on us, I imagine it would be similar. Mm, I guess it depends. <laughs> it depends on who's, you know, the executive producer of that documentary, I would say. And, <laughs> and I mean, like, but here's my thing. My view, and I wrote this in our thing that we did after on uh, .com, was that, you know, Ken Burns criticized it because it's, you can't be in, you know, his, his viewpoint is you can't do a documentary if you're, you know, in partnership with the guy you're doing the documentary on. Yeah, I agree that it was not a Ken Burns documentary. I agree that it was not an objective documentary. Uh, it doesn't mean it's not, it doesn't mean that uh, it's not a great doc. It doesn't, that both things can be true. Right. Um, well, if you the, don't, if you don't have Michael Jordan's, um, contributions and whatever you want to say, final say or editorial, whatever, there is no documentary. So, well, anyway, our coverage of the last dance is brought to you by state farm. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, state farm is there. Coverage is also brought to you by AT&T. Who who Um, do you think would sponsor your documentary, Wendy? uh, Nobody, (laughs) nobody. Um, I would be the executive producer though. And uh, you would see great footage of me with my security guards. For who sure. would who would play you in the movie, Wendy? Who would play Brian in the movie? Clearly, oh. Jonah Hill. Oh, yeah. Jonah Hill. Yeah. Or that whoever that whoever drew up that thing of you in Game of Zones, we should call him up and get him to do it. You say it should be it should be a uh, animated. I mean, uh, movie. this guy he's got you nailed. I'm just telling yeah. you now. Go check it out. He's got you. Uh, nailed. Um. So. I feel like this didn't get as much play this week, although maybe maybe I don't have a good read on it. But Doc Rivers did an interview. With, and Doc Rivers has done a couple interviews this week. I know he was on the jump. Think, uh, today? Wednesday, Today, Wednesday, yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, he talked to Ernie about his first weeks on the job uh, back in 2014. Was it 2014? was his first uh, – when he moved over and became the president and the coach of the Clippers when he was traded, essentially. Mm. Um, traded from the Celtics to the um, to the Clippers to become the president and GM. By the way, Jackie, do I have this right? When the Clippers didn't just want Doc, they also wanted to trade for Kevin Garnett and the league blocked it? Is that is that, that the is, correct thing? Uh, well, Doc was the one that wanted to bring Garnett with him. Um Kevin Garnett had a no trade clause, but that that was I don't think that was ever going to happen anyway because Pierce had convinced Garnett they're going to trade me, you know, come with me, and and so like that Brooklyn deal wouldn't have happened if it was just Paul Pierce to Brooklyn. Right, but I thought the league said that they couldn't have the coach and the player. I can't because it was you might potential. Right. I, I don't potential I, tampering. I vaguely, um, I vaguely recollect that. I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm, I'm falling down on my job. I can't tell you 100 with 100 percent certainty that I remember it that way. So sorry. All right. So anyway, Doc comes over, and um, one of his first moves is to sign JJ Redick, which was a bit of a surprising signing at the time that Redick would go to LA, and. Maybe that was 2013, um, but in 2014, when um, when when Sterling's world fell apart because of that tape uh, becoming public, um, the story came out. I think Woj reported on it, and I also think Sam Amick, who was with the USA Today at the time, reported on it about how Sterling um, initially didn't want to sign JJ Redick because he didn't want to give so much money to a white player. And Doc told the story. Um, and, you know, Jackie, do you remember this part being out there? Because now I can't remember. Was it known that he threatened to quit if Sterling backed out of that deal? Because that's what he told Ernie Johnson. Right. I've, I've heard that, but I don't remember hearing it in real time, Brian. I, I've heard that since then. I think when 
around the time Sterling was ousted, we started hearing about all of this. I think there were three or four times that Doc Rivers almost quit because of his owner. But here's the thing. Like, he had just taken the job. And, like, he knew who Donald Sterling was. Right. It's uh, not like it was a secret. I know. Right. But you know what, guys? I can just tell you. Donald Sterling, until you were actually in the room with him, that you couldn't possibly understand the gravity of the situation. You couldn't make Donald Sterling up. So you can do an interview with him and, and talk to him. And, you know, he's a smart guy. He was a smart guy. It wasn't like he was a dope. So maybe you got fooled into thinking, well, maybe I can manage him. But then you get there and you realize this stuff is going on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I mean, Paul Silas had stories about Donald oh, Sterling. Yes. You know, like one day, oh, yes. Paul Silas one day, Donald Sterling said, I need your office. And, and, and Paul Silas said, well, what? No, what do you mean? I'm the coach. He goes, yeah, I need your office. And he's like, no, Donald, like I, I have stuff to do. I've got my stuff at my office. No. And he went to lunch and he came back and all his stuff was moved out of his office. I mean, that's the kind of stuff Donald Sterling did. So if you're Doc Rivers, you don't really know that till you get there. I guess. I mean, there was lots of, I mean, the previous two general managers that he had, he ended up in lawsuits with. And he never and paid it, them, by the way. Bob Weiss right. is still waiting for his money. Yep. Uh, I, and Donald's got it. <laughs> yep. Um, and, you know, McMahon, um, Doc basically said he would, would you resign a multi-million dollar job over a J.J. Reddick contract? I guess it was drawing a line in the sand, like establishing, look, I'm not going to get pushed around here. Well, Doc, if I knew I could get another multi-million dollar job, maybe. <laughs> I think it's more than just not getting pushed around. He was basically saying, so all along, the, the narrative on Donald Sterling has been, he doesn't like black people. Now he's telling us he doesn't like white people. Like, well, who does Donald Sterling like? And 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 that's what's really – it's just – it's a really creepy thing where Donald Sterling is racist, but I, he – I mean, there's the stories of him, you know, dragging his, his you know, rich buddies into the locker room or, or the women in the locker room and, you know, look at those beautiful black – but he, he like – looked at players as objects. He didn't look at players as people. He looked at players as objects. And I think that's where, you know, it's, it's an extension and a, and a really gross kind of extension of, the, of his racism that you say, well, that's reverse racism. But it, again, players to him weren't people. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the story goes is that he had given Chris Kamen a $50 million deal and felt that was a bad deal for him and had been scarred by it and felt like, well, that's the last white guy that I'm giving big money to. And, uh, uh, Brian, can I give a little bit of context to Doc's situation? Uh, I, I, I see Mr. Clipper coming on here. I'm, I'm literally wearing my 2010 Clippers shirt, the Eric and Eric and Alfaruk and Blake and DeAndre shirt. Anyways, um, when the Clippers acquired Doc Rivers from the Celtics, they gave him the title of coach and general manager. And at the time, I believe the understanding was that obviously everyone knows that Donald Sterling's this deplorable individual, but Doc thought that he could mitigate that type of influence on the basketball operations if he had total control over it. So if Donald Sterling is saying that you can't sign this player that you want to sign, that means that Doc can't actually do the things that he wanted to do there, which is why he was ready to quit over it. I understand, but that's in, implied. <laughs> that's implied. I mean... Not to, not to everyone else. This is like nine well, years ago. This There's a whole generation of people that don't know this exists. Well, I was... Uh, um, I had never heard the story of that they had done the deal, and maybe I maybe it was out there and I didn't hear it. But they had done the deal. JJ had agreed to it, which was a huge get for them with where they were. You know, they had Blake and Chris Paul, and getting JJ was a, a big piece in in stretching the floor for them. And they had, you know, it was sort of Doc's big splash. They had just gone out and gotten you know a, a top level coach, and they were going to make this run. And uh, 
you know, basically Donald wanted to cancel the deal. And Doc tells the story on the on the interview that he was in the he remembers he was in the um, Orlando airport in the parking deck. His off season home is in Orlando, and he was in the parking deck. And Donald was on the phone with him, and he threatened to quit. And uh, he had to call uh, JJ's agent and say, "Hey, listen, this might fall apart." And you know, I mean, can you imagine that? You just put together this huge deal. And other teams have moved on. It could have really screwed JJ over. It could have cost him a ton of money had it not gone through. It would have, you know, sullied their ability to make deals. So, um, I don't know, just a, just a story that came out this week that I just didn't think um, got as much attention as maybe it should have. I, I one thing about Sterling that I'll I'll always remember, and really about Steve Ballmer is uh, was from Ramona's Thirty for Thirty. Uh, podcast that she did last year that when she talked about the transaction that actually went down when he sold the team so his wife Shelly Sterling actually did the deal with with Balmer and Balmer tells the story or Ramona tells the story I think from Balmer um, on how the negotiation for the team went um, uh, where she said she wanted two billion and he was like how about 1.8 and she's like no two billion he's like okay I mean it pretty much wasn't much longer than that, the way it was presented. It was like a, they were throwing hundreds of millions around back and forth. Like he just had to ask if she would take less. And so they had to actually have a meeting to do the deal with Sterling and Balmer and Sterling and Balmer in the room. And Sterling could not believe he is skeptical that Balmer has the money, uh-huh. even though we all know that he's worth at that point. I think he was worth about twenty or twenty-four billion. Yeah, he's got and, that in his ashtray of one of his thirty-four cars. Right, hmm. and uh, Sterling, who he always lived a life where if he had an extra couple hundred thousand, he immediately sunk it into a building. He, even though he was very wealthy and owned much property, he ran very tightly. He ran on a shoestring budget because he always reinvested his money. He scolded Steve Ballmer. He was like, huh, do you, do you really have $2 billion in cash to give me? And he's like, yeah, I've got it. I'll give it to you in a check right now. And he's like, what kind of business is that? Who, what, who has $2 billion? Like he was kind of looking down at him as a businessman because he didn't – you know, the, the, he had liquidity. He thought, he thought that was a silly way of doing business. And you know, he, you know, here he is getting the all-time record price for a sports team. And getting it in straight cash, and he almost messed up that deal by by you know. So just what a what a scumbag! <laughs> what a scumbag! Hey, can I just uh, just tell you guys this that Ramona won a Gracie Award for that podcast series, so she's to be congratulated. That's a pretty big deal. She won a Gracie Award for those uh, for that Donald Sterling podcast. So bravo, Ramona. Hey, I just want to take a quick pause here. The weather is getting nice across the country, although not as nice as it should be in my neck of the woods. But a lot of us are still spending time at home and often watching reruns of old basketball games. So if you're one of those people that wants to have a nice lawn but doesn't want to turn off ESPN or those YouTube highlights to go outside, might be able to help you out. Because Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action has acquired the secret to building a thicker, greener lawn. In return, they have taken out all of the hard work give you more time to do whatever you want. We all know about the most common lawn problems, weeds, bugs, general wear and tear. What people don't realize is it's easy to get the lawn of your dreams by simply feeding it a few times throughout the year. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action kills weeds, prevents crabgrass, and feeds to build a thick green lawn. With Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action, you can finally get the lawn you've always dreamed of by giving your yard the nourishment it needs to help your weak, thin lawn recover. When you feed with Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action multiple times throughout the year, your grass will be greener, stronger, and more resilient. Take up a bag today. This is a Scott's Yard. Grab a bag today. This is a Scott's Yard. This is a Scott's Yard. Also, Scott's no-quibble money-back guarantee says if you're not satisfied, you get your money back. All right, back to the show. So anyway, another interview this week, and this this was a great interview. And if you if you are a LeBron James fan, uh, I recommend going and seeking out this interview he did on his platform, uninterrupted, with uh, two of his friends, uh, Maverick Carter and Paul Rivera. 
they did it after the last dance on Sunday night. Um, and LeBron was drinking red wine, which I, I do think is a really good uh, thing for LeBron interviews. He did a um, an IG live right at the beginning of um, the quarantine uh, where he was drinking some red wine and he had some good things to say on that. And he was, he was so excited um, by the last dance. He was very invigorated. It was a great conversation. It's 40 minutes long. You should definitely listen to it if you're a LeBron fan. But one of the things that made headlines out of that was he talked about how during the lockout in 2011 that he wanted to play football, that he actually started training with his trainer, working on blocking sleds, running the 40, and thought about playing uh, football. Now, this this comes up every couple of years where people talk about LeBron as a football player um, and – he obviously wanted to play. He, he, his favorite team is uh, in your backyard, McMahon, the Dallas, mm-hmm. Dallas, uh, Cowboys. And, um, Maverick Carter tells a story that Jerry Jones actually sent him a contract. And I'm sure it was a, you know, just, it was a ceremonial contract. He had a hundred million dollar deal with the Heat at that time. He's, I think, kind of talking out of the side of his mouth on that, but. Uh, I think in another universe, he would love to at least played one week with the Cowboys. Dude, I, I am convinced, and Wendy, you've actually covered LeBron playing football. I've seen highlights. I am convinced that LeBron could have gone to the NFL. It, you know, would not have been an every down player probably, but as a pa- you know a pass catching tight end, flex tight end, Antonio Gates type. I'm convinced he would have had double figure touchdowns in a season. And I actually ran my hypothesis by Jason Witten, who knows a little bit about playing tight end in the NFL. He'd taken Jason Witten's job. Well, he'd have, uh, Witten would have been <laughs> the every down tight end, and LeBron would have been, uh, you know, in on third down stuff. And I ran it by Des Bryant, a guy who knows a little bit about scoring touchdowns. And both of them were absolutely 100%, no hesitation convinced that LeBron, in the words of Des Bryant, would have been a beast. Um, but you don't and, and, see 6'9 wide receivers. Well, or 6'9 tight ends. Carmichael would argue with you. Um, that's a, you know, get your Google on. Philadelphia Eagles back in the day. But l- let me ask you this. Who's covering them? If, if you're throwing lobs to LeBron in the end zone, who's going to stop them? So... When he was a freshman in high school, he played mostly on the freshman and junior varsity team. And I think they like let him suit up for varsity. He as a freshman in high school, he was only about six one. By the way, I meant spades, not lobs, but whatever. You Go know on. what? I, I made the same mistake talking about <laughs> somebody this week. I said lobs too. Same idea though. <laughs> um, so the the, uh, the football team kind of figured out like in week like nine or ten. You know what? We this guy's pretty good. We may want to start bringing him to varsity. So he played a couple of games at the end of the regular season, and then they made the playoffs. He made, like, had an unbelievable playoff game uh, where he, he, I don't remember his stats, but he caught over 100 yards receiving a touchdown the last game of his freshman year. So he goes on to play basketball. This team goes 27-0. He arrives on the scene. Oh, my God, look at this guy. Sophomore year comes back and is an all-state wide receiver his sophomore year. Um, now, the he he grew – I think uh he, you know at this point he's probably about 65 64 65. And yes, I mean um the high school was my high school. I mean it was there's a mid-sized Catholic school. Uh they were it was this was not uh they were not playing in Dallas. They were not playing in Miami. They were not li- he was not lining up against 6 foot 200 pound cornerbacks who were headed to um you know uh Alabama. So, you know, he was lining up against 5 10 175 pound kids. Um, and they had no chance. Um, but the problem was is that he was so big and strong that the only way to bring him down was to go for his legs. Yeah. Um, and it would have kind of been like, um, you know, like Gronkowski. Gronkowski was constantly getting hurt because guys are cutting him down because he's so big. You know, when I was in high school um, at that school, the football team sucked when I was there. Um, there was this tight end for our rival high school who was an unstoppable beast over the middle who caught passes and rumbled down the field. His name was Mike Vrabel, who was a beast. But but think about Vrabel. Think about the size he is. And now add 
what five, five inches and, and muscle, you know, muscle, muscle, yeah. and incredible. I mean, Grable is a great athlete too, but you know, Grable couldn't jump eleven feet in the air. So, right. so after Le- so after LeBron's sophomore year, um, he's all state wide receiver. You know, I don't know, has some crazy amount of yards and everything. He explodes onto the basketball scene, goes out that summer, wins the MVP of the ABCD camp. Um, and it's clear that not only is he going right to the draft, but that he might be the number one pick in two years. So he does not play. He, he says, I'm not going to play football my senior, my junior year of, of high school. So the first game of the season, he, I happen to be covering the game for the local paper. He is down on the sidelines. Um, with his ex-football teammates wearing his Letterman jacket, which has football and basketball on it. And the team pulls on upset in the opening week of the season. And LeBron is so excited. He runs out on the field and on Monday announces he's going to go, he's going to play football again. And I go down to interview him and he explains that the, 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 the singer Aaliyah had just died in that plane crash and he was a huge fan of her at the time. And he said, it's an, it's a reminder that you, your, your life can end at any time. And so you have to live for today. And so I'm going to play football, but they came up with a game plan where he was going to run fade routes and out routes. And if he caught the ball in the middle of the field, get to the sideline, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, People wanted to take a free shot at him. There people would, would have to bring him down low, but he didn't want to get hurt. And he had a spectacular year. Again, all state wide receiver. I don't know. How, he caught some un, unbelievable amount of passes and touchdowns. And what they would do is every time they get down near the goal line, they would throw him fades in the corner of the end zone. Well, the high school was in the center of downtown and the football stadium was sort of squeezed in this little piece of land. And like there was right by the corner of the end zone, one of the end zones, there was an eight-foot-high fence. On the other side of that fence was a Cadillac dealership, downtown Cadillac dealership. And he, the, the quarterback was a tall guy. A six, he was also a basketball player, six foot four, and um, he was not a professional quarterback. So he didn't, you know, he was he was functional, nice, good size, but he wasn't throwing. You know, this was not Drew Brees throwing pinpoint passes. And a couple of times, you know, he would throw lobs for LeBron in the corner of the end zone, and you know. It was a little bit too aggressive, and the ball went over the fence and hit the Cadillac during the games. <laughs> hit the Cadillac. So, um, but then uh, he decided not to play as a senior. Then it just got crazy. Uh, you were afraid of it, but um, but but yeah, the he, thing is, if you're throwing LeBron fades in the end zone, double team and triple team, all he's got to do is go up and over well, guys and get it. You, yeah. you know, when you double and triple team guys, you can't stack uh, defense backs on top of each other. You know what they should have done is senior year, they should have had him be like Morris Stroud. Remember Morris Stroud from Kansas City? Do you remember that dude? I do not. He was six ten. He was six ten, he was a tight end, and they used to put him underneath the, the goalpost when the team mm. the opposing team yeah. was kicking a field goal and he'd jump up and de- deflect the the ball from going through the goalpost. Right. He was this big tall guy that could jump and they finally eliminated that from they they outlawed it and they called it the Stroud rule. See that could have mm. been the LeBron rule. Well, I mean, I could see the Cowboys signing him and just playing for a few plays and like for a Hail Mary. I mean, I give LeBron a good chance. Just have him be a red zone threat, a red zone specialist. You know, seriously, I think, I mean, we're talking about tight end. He really wouldn't have been a tight end. Like he's not going to get down there and block guys probably and all that. I saw DeMarcus Ware told NFL Network that there's no way LeBron could have blocked him. Well. That gives him something in common with pretty much every single tight end who's ever played the sport. Right. LeBron but, uh, wasn't blocked. I, I don't think you ever want LeBron putting his hand on the ground. Right. But yeah. Behind him standing I mean, for, he's essentially, athletically, a taller Megatron. A taller Megatron is what, 5'2", 31. LeBron's 6'9", 270. But that sort of explosiveness, that's where obviously the hands, the, the leaping ability. And Calvin Johnson had a pretty good NFL career. So during the lockout, he did really get into football. He had come back home. He was playing with the Heat at the time. He come he come back home and was living back at home in Akron during the lockout, and he got really into football. And Kevin Durant came to work out with him for a week. Um, uh, now the next year, he and Durant played each other in the finals, but they hadn't faced off yet. They were, you know, I don't think they were that friendly, but you know, it was good competition. Well. 
LeBron would practice at the high school. And during the day, there was this the, the high school into the side of a hill, and there was a big giant hill. Um, and football players, all athletes at that school for decades, have always run that hill. It's like a three story hill. And it goes right alongside the building, um, right alongside the windows because the school's built into it. And Kim, I was I was always thinking, like, can you imagine sitting in class? Because he would go out there during during the week every day, and like Kevin Durant and LeBron James are running by your that's a riot your window. So <laughs> that great. week they they played every they they like worked out um, and then played. Uh, and they also cut a, a rap song, which you can find out there. It's it's a little bit rough, but I'm no connoisseur. And then at the end of the week, they decided that they would play against each other in flag football. I don't know if you remember this. Mm-hmm. Um, but they each fielded a team. I think Durant got some friends from D.C. or wherever. LeBron got some friends. I think uh, Maverick played in it. And they um, – they hired a, a film crew and they streamed it online somewhere. Um, now it would be streamed on uninterrupted, probably paper right. or something. Uh, but this was still he's still in his infancy a little bit on that. Um, just just they were just messing around. It was in a field house. It was indoors. There was no no fans allowed or anything. Um, Rachel Nichols and I were allowed to come in and we watched it for a little bit. And let me tell you what happened in that game. In flag football, you play both ways, and. So on defense, LeBron played spy or essentially safety. And watching him play defense, I got a complete – I mean, obviously if you're a football coach and you see a guy like that, you know that he's got those type of hands, you're going to say we have to have him as an offensive skill player. But when I watched him play defense and safety and the way he could read things and read what was going on. And by the way, these dudes were serious. They had, they had practice. They had play calls. They had schemes. Like he and Durant were being super competitive with each other. But watching LeBron like close on passes and get pass breakups, and I think he actually won the game with an interception. That's where he would have been amazing. Now, I know that if you play safety in the NFL, you got to come up and hit a running back and stuff like that. I'm not saying he was going to do that, but can you know Nickelback? Well, no. Oh you know what? God. Just physically, I, you know, forget about the, the the mentality, but physically, six nine two seventy, that kind of explosiveness as a pass rusher. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like, but I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's. I, I'm not saying I don't yeah. know about the mentality, but if there was a mean, you know what, who was six nine two seventy and that explosive, he would be an absolutely dominant pass rusher. Well, just think of the balls that I mean, bat down. A taller he, Chase he, Young. Uh, yes, yes, that's right. Um, although Chase Young, I think he has the he has an incredible mentality for it. But anyway. That's my. Those are my LeBron football stories. Um, he I don't was, think Kevin Durant has NFL potential. Just going to throw that out there. Um, I seem to remember he did play quarterback a little bit or whatever. Uh, he didn't. His throwing motion wasn't. I, I don't think it was. Uh, it wasn't silky. LeBron's got a cannon. I, I've seen yes. him. Just LeBron's an athlete, man. Yeah, he's an athlete. he'd go down when he goes to Cowboys games. You know, he's down on the field before the game, just messing around. I mean, he's got an absolute cannon. Left uh, left handed, but throws right, shoots right, obviously, mm-hmm. and uh, is ambidextrous. But um, so he he often likes to talk about how he was a football player and how he was tough, but he really had to spend so much of his time pr- protecting himself. And his junior summer, after his junior year of high school, he got undercut. Uh, dry, going for a dunk at a at a summer tournament in Chicago, that undercut and had the worst injury of his career. Broke his wrist, came down on his wrist and mm. broke his wrist. So after that, there was just no way that they were risking uh, anything his senior year. But you know, he didn't even get to play as an eighteen year old when he was by then six foot eight. You know, approaching. You know, he's probably about two thirty or something like that. So um, imagine. You know, if he had given him another year, what 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 he could have done? So, I, um, I really think he is just physically, athletically. I think he's the best pure athlete that I've seen. When you talk about that size, that speed, that explosiveness, I don't know. Michael Jordan's a pretty good athlete, and he was three inches shorter and about what fifty five pounds lighter. 
Right. So well, what he did was different. He could hang. He could fly. He could fly. So they have different. They. I mean, one was brute strength. The other one was. I mean, they're different. They're both amazing. LeBron, LeBron can fly too. I've always said LeBron, in a lot of ways, I thought he had Jordan's athleticism, Carl Malone's physique, and Magic Johnson's vision, and that makes a pretty good player. Yeah, he's, I will he, say this. he's pretty good, LeBron James. Wow, Tim. I've, I've seen I've seen LeBron. Uh, I've seen LeBron try to hit a, a baseball, and I've seen him try to hit a golf ball. Two things Jordan excelled at. Um, uh, Jordan, I think LeBron was the better football player. I think <laughs> Jordan was the better baseball, and you know the uh, the stick sports because I do not think uh, his uh, I do not think it translated to that. Um, all right, we have a question from our hotline, our Hoop Collective hotline. Um, Andrew, what is the phone number for the Hoop Collective hotline? Four zero two, three one six two nine five five. You need to right, say thank- that again. You need to say it again, just like on the radio. Four one six. That's Toronto. Two, three one six two nine five five. There you go. Four one six. Four one six is uh, good for this because we have a Canadian question. Hi, we have a question for the uh, Hoop Collective Hotline. My name is Philip Drost, and I'm listening from Fredericton, New Brunswick. That's in Canada. And I was wondering if anyone has given any thought. I saw one uh, NBA assistant coach from Canada raise, uh, what if the NBA's bubble, instead of going to a place like Las Vegas, went to the east coast of Canada? Now, the two provinces that could possibly host the NBA would be New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island, both provinces, as of the time I'm sending you this uh, this call, have zero active cases. Uh, restaurants are open. There's obviously physical distancing going on there, but restaurants are open. A lot of things are open. Would that make more sense, going to a place that's got no cases where you can kind of have a bit more of a quality of life and you're not just stuck in a hotel or a conference building? Um, well, Philip. I know New Brunswick is a big basketball hub. I'm sure the, I'm sure New Brunswick in the summer would be wonderful. Um, uh, I will say that um, it's not going to be it's not going to be out of the country because uh, right now uh, there's big time restrictions on getting from Canada to the United States, um, and I think uh, that's going to be that would be a kind of a factor. Uh, did you know that uh, LeBron once? tried to play a game against Vince Carter in St. John's, Newfoundland. Mm. His rookie year went out to St. John's and the game was canceled because of floor conditions. And that was a preseason game. And Vince Carter grabbed the microphone, announced the game was canceled and said, we love you. We'll be back. That was in 2003. They haven't been back. Um, But, you know, one of the reasons that it's, it's headed to Disney World is in, in addition to the city of Orlando feeling like it's got a good handle on the cases for now and feeling it has adequate tests. It's a facility right. that the NBA would be able to have good accommodations um, and as well as have some control. I don't know if there's a bunch of five-star hotels in New Brunswick. You'll have to educate us on that one, Philip. But, um, Jackie, what do you think? Uh, it looks like the NBA, if it's able to pull this off, is indeed going to Disney World. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about that as, as, a, as an idea? Well, it always made the most sense of everything I heard of all the, the bubble venues because they have courts, they have hotels, they are used to handling large crowds, there's a connection, obviously, with Disney and ESPN, one of their broadcast partners. So that always made the most sense to me. Uh, I think there's a way in Disney where you can move about and go to dinner and do some things and, or, and, and be able to control that environment where that doesn't exist too many other places. So it, it was the most logical choice for me all along. Right, and you can control the environment but not – you know, not strictly, you cannot leave this hotel. I mean, it's a huge, sprawling uh, site. So, like you said, guys wouldn't feel like they were 
uh, I think Michelle uh, Michelle Roberts even said, you know, like it would feel like she was concerned it would feel like a, a prison situation. No, you can go to Epcot for dinner, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, you know, the NBA obviously has deep ties with Disney. I mean, look, we all work for Disney. Let's be clear. Um, but uh, they've recently opened the NBA. I think it's called the NBA Experience. There, it's a whole NBA um, store restaurant. Um, uh, virtual reality, uh, like little place there. So there's a strong connection. I think that opened last summer. Um, there's always been a strong connection between Disney uh, for the last for the last 15 years between Disney and uh, the NBA. I mean, Disney is the NBA's biggest uh, partner. Uh, there's more games on ESPN and ABC than anywhere else. The finals are on ABC. So there's definitely a connection there. Um, for for. I don't think Vegas has been ruled out, but for various reasons, uh, you know, I think that the NBA prefers the Disney uh, setup. It's just a matter of whether it all gets worked out. It also is a matter of whether Disney can support all 30 teams because I think Disney World is going to try to open back up soon. They're not going to have the whole place to themselves. Um, they're going to have a portion of it to themselves. At least that's the concept. Um, but I do think that uh, how, how certain are you that it would be all 30 teams though? I'm not, but I mean, I will say this, that is the working model that they are going on right now. And, uh, uh Tillman Fertitta, who is the owner of the Rockets was on CNBC yesterday and he echoed that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think Mark Cuban has said that, and that's something I have heard as well too. Which yeah, because they they want the local television deals to be fulfilled. I mean, that, I there have, are huge yes, financial motivations of course, there. Of course, that is a factor. Although people at the league office have attempted to, because I was a couple of months ago, I was talking about the magic number of seventy. Um, that a lot of the local TV contracts have seventy games guaranteed in there, and if you didn't yep. meet that, there was some economic fallout. I have had people from the league office. Acknowledge that while that is true, that I should not pay attention to that as a motivating factor for everything. Um, I've had people with teams tell me that that's absolutely a motivating factor. Well, yeah, but I think they're going to meet them in between. I don't think anything is hard and fast the way it was. Just like the incentives and players' contracts for minutes and games played and all of those things, all of those have to be open for interpretation for this to make any sense for everybody. The real question is, if you ask all 30 teams to play and there are teams that don't want to play and there are players that don't want to play, then what happens? Well, that's one thing is that, you know, I'm not saying that there's going to be a play-in tournament but to get a team like the Warriors to play, to get a player like Steph Curry to want to play, you're going to have to give them some sort of incentive. Well, see, I, I don't think it's a question of whether Steph Curry wants to play. If I'm the Warriors, I don't want Steph Curry to play. He only played in, what, one game since he came back, right, right. from his injury? Right. I It's got nothing to do with whether Steph Curry wants to play. I'm sorry, Steph. You're our asset. We're protecting you. You will not play that right. would be I, my position. and i would be stunned if we saw uh steph and uh steph or clay thompson i would i would just be stunned even if they said well even, especially even, clay well right but i'm saying clay is a year off the injury uh to just like durant could potentially play uh i'm not saying they would do that i know Woj has reported that they're not going to um I think we see what the I think, I think we see what the lay of the land looks like. Uh, Kyrie Irving tweeted a photo um, implying that he was getting back to working out. It was just a photo of him of shoes in the gym, and everybody's like, "Oh, wait a minute, he's back to working out." He is three months off his shoulder surgery. Um, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen there, but um, if you really want those teams to come back, you have to you have to some care, I would think. Um, Bob Myers has said, you know, we will be good partners, but that doesn't mean being a good partner means you'll play the game. Doesn't mean you're gonna put Steph Curry out there. So um, let me let me let me said. play let me play devil's advocate for just a minute here though. You're you're saying they need incentive to play. Well the incentive is you're getting paid. Yeah. And you need to fulfill your contract. And if and if you don't play, you're not getting paid nearly as much. Yeah. That to me pretty much takes care of it. I know there are some players I've talked to that, that they feel like that's a pretty good incentive. 
but they're not Steph Curry. Tim, one thing that happens in all of this too, though, is if the season was functioning as it normally did, stars on teams that had less incentive to be doing their best night in and night out, they would be finding reasons to shut guys down anyways, right? Like that, sure. that part is not new. Yeah, no. we'd be in prime, well, this point of the season is prime tank time. Yeah, I wonder if all things were equal, how much Steph would have played. You know, he had played one game and then he got sick. They thought they were they were scared for a, uh, a few hours that it might have been uh, COVID. Um, it was not, thankfully. But um, I you know I, I wonder how many games he would have played anyway. Not all fifteen or seventeen. Or I'm sure he was. I don't know how many back to backs they have, but I'm sure he'd be sitting out back to backs and. That sort of thing. Well, one thing I will say is that Tim Bontemps and I, when we did a piece a few weeks ago on what a bubble would look like, we did the math on how long it would take. Uh, we assumed, you know, there's certain, like the, the Lakers have 19 games left. There's other teams that have as little as 15. So the, the rules wouldn't be the same for everybody. But if they actually decided to play them all out um, and there were no back to backs, except for maybe an occasional one here and there. Like I think we decided the Lakers might have to play one or two. Um, we thought that you could finish the regular season in 33 days um, where teams didn't have to play back-to-backs. So that's a month um, of playing four games a week, uh, maybe maybe five for a team or two. Um, and then we determined that if you played the regular playoffs and you cut down to just one day between all games because there's no travel – um, but you don't want to play back to backs. You know the maximum number of days it would take. I think was fifty five. Obviously, it depends. Do all series go four games or do all series go seven? So for a team to go from the beginning to the end, it could be in our projection. If they play the whole thing, could be basically ninety days um, in the bubble quarantine zone. And if you don't play the the full regular season. All of a sudden, that starts coming down. Um, but I don't know. How, you know. I don't know what the determining factor is. But consider three months. So, you know, Woj, Woj and Zach Lowe reported today that they were going to try to have a decision by June first. They were hoping to get started by um, by June fifteenth in terms of training camp. So let's just say they're able to get started July twelfth. You know, if everything goes perfect and there's mm-hmm. no setbacks because of the virus, August twelfth, September twelfth. October 12th, based on our projection. Now they start playing back-to-backs. Okay. Or or you obviously cut down whatever the regular season is. Do you play best of five instead of best of seven in the first round? Adam Silver, in the the call with the players two weeks ago, said that they still want to go four best of sevens. Now, all this is projectionary, but I'm just saying that even now, what I'm seeing, if they play the regular season, um, it's uh, it's 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 you know you're looking at into October now. If you which is to, why you can't play the regular season. That's no. what I. That's just, what I think. That's what I think. But I mean, I didn't think they were going to be able to get back to playing in the summer. I thought we would not not be able to play till the fall. So don't ask me. I'm invalid. But um, the other thing is, if Do you, you have a prediction, you, no. If you project all 30 teams, if you protect all 30 teams, you're looking at several thousand people that you're going to have to protect. If you only protect the 16 playoff teams, it's, you know, you don't have to be a mathematician. It's roughly half, 16 teams versus 30. And after two weeks, it's eight teams. And after two more weeks, it's four teams. Yeah. So, or you can do 20. You do, a, a, you know, have your trial period true. play in tournament. That's have true. The top six seeds have some sort of, you know, tune-up schedule, and, and go that way. And and you know maybe that's a way where you can figure out some sort of revenue sharing thing. So the bottom ten teams, you know, you're somehow satisfying TV obligations or at least making shifting money around. I don't know, Brian. So well, what you're saying is they're not going to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, you know, I just, the, the governments of Canada and the United States extended the closure of the border till uh, the 30th of June. So they'd have to get dispensation just to get the, the, the Raptors 
into Orlando if that's where they're going to go. I'm sure that would not be a problem. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that, <laughs> um, you know, Canada is not Canada and the United States are not swapping folks. And the other thing is, I think if you change countries, and this is something that is, you know, look, I'm, I don't want to get too far down here, but right now, if you go from Canada to the United States, I believe you are required to quarantine for 14 days. And when I just went over that, that schedule that got you to October, I did not build in a 14 day quarantine in there. So, um, uh, I appreciate what he's saying, which is that the, you know, New Brunswick has not had cases and I'm, I'm glad they haven't. And I hope you stay safe. Um, but, uh, um, I don't think the NBA is headed there, but you should be able to watch it. And that's, I think, what we're all looking forward to. All right. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank you to Tim and Jackie. Have a great rest of your week. We will talk to you soon. Thank mm-hmm. you.